welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. Thank you for joining us today. If you're feeling called to take your next step, are ready for your next evolution, if you're looking to take a deeper dive with Real Men Feel, I invite you to step forward and inward. I have a few more slots to work one-on-one with me. The first step is a complimentary clarity call. Go to theandygrant.com slash talk. Now is the time to explore dropping the facades and bullshit about who you are and what you want. Go to theandygrant.com slash talk and put yourself first. My guest today is Joe Bernstein, a guy whose work and mission with men I really align with and admire. You're going to learn about the power in dropping your armor, taking responsibility without shame and blame. We'll find out what Joe means by the term the Jesus age. You'll learn why vulnerability is crucial for all of us and find out what it means to be an open-hearted badass. I'm psyched to introduce you to my friend, Coach Joe Bernstein. Hello, Joe. Welcome to Real Men Feel. It's great to talk to you. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm really grateful to be here today. Excited for the conversation. You know? Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, we've got a, a lot in common in terms of our mission and how we work and kind of the words we even use. But, you know, some of your terminology, we like to and just start here and get definitions out of the way and things like that. So you talk a lot about dropping the armor. So how did you become aware of your armor to begin with? Wow. Okay. So yeah. So I named my business Drop the Armor because it just felt so powerfully aligned with what I want to help people do. You know, how'd I get here? So I, on one level, drop a lot of armor. People know about my history, my story. If you've read any of my stuff or check out my content, you'll see that I grew up from a very young age, what the industry, medical industry would call obese, like three, four years old, obese, twice the weight, sometimes more of other kids growing up. And I carried that weight most of my life. In fact, in my mid-20s, I was up to 340 pounds. So on one level, dropping the armor for me personally meant physically changing my body, changing this layer of protection that I built for myself from a young age. But that really was predicated, that dropping the armor, losing 150 pounds, keeping it off for a bunch of years. It was really about dropping the armor that we've been just, I want to say like encrusted with in this world today, especially all of us, but especially men about not being able to feel our feelings, about not being able to be vulnerable, about not being able to be in touch with the body, you know, in touch with our sensitivity, in touch with our spirit, dropping the armor of the reality that a lot of us are just really unique and different and we don't fit within any sort of mainstream molds But most of our lives, we have to play this game to be liked, to be accepted, to kind of get ahead, quote unquote. So dropping the armor is really about everything from changing our relationship to our body, to really learning how to become what I call emotionally fluent and understanding that we can be in our emotions and it can be safe to do so. It can be about peeling back a lot of the negativity-based conditioning that we were given, that I was definitely given. There's so many layers about this. There's a lot of you know confusion around sexuality and sexual shame that we have. We could come up with dozens of things that are dropping the armor that I contribute. For me, like I mentioned, I was always overweight. I had some learning disabilities. I also have great parents that love the heck out of me and my sisters. And I had a lot of privilege growing up. Yeah, you know, I'd say we were middle class, white, middle class, suburban Americans. 
And essentially, though, we always had a pretty toxic emotional environment at home. My parents argued a lot. They were both very fear-based, you know, scarcity-based in all the ways. With mom, no one's ever safe. With dad, we never had enough time, energy, or money, you know? So I embodied those beliefs, and I embodied that way of being, and I embodied all the messages that you got through school, that if you're not good in school, then you're not that worthy, that if you're not physically a beautiful specimen, even as a man, that you would never be attractive to women or partners or anybody. And so I just grew up thinking that I wouldn't have a great love life. I wouldn't have a great career. I'd always be obese. And what we believe and what we think at a young age, we create. So, you know, 24 years old, I'm 340 pounds. I got married when I was about 28 to the second person I ever dated because I thought that I could never find someone to love me or like me or touch me or any of that. And I got myself into a bit of a mess. I was kind of 30 years old. I'm stuck in my career. I'm married. We're fighting all the time. And there's lots of problems. You know, the, the crux, the, the catalyst was eventually she came to me and said, I want a divorce. And through the process of divorce, my, I feel like all my structures to keep myself safe fell apart completely. And I learned that I had a choice, that I could take responsibility. I started getting really passionate about the inner work. And it was just a nonstop rocket ship towards personal transformation, physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectually, socially, romantically, all of that. So like I said, let's not do too much of the story here, but, but that's it. You know, I found that living a life based in the beliefs that the world had given me, being a consumer of those beliefs and living a life that was based in scarcity and never being willing to take the risk to go after what I want because I might lose what I have, that that shit wasn't working. And I became pretty passionate once I learned to change everything and flip it all on its head to help other men do the same, to drop the armor, to figure out that it's life's too short to not go after the things that make us truly happy, to not go after the things that make us passionate, to feel stuck in a career, in a relationship, or unhappy and not getting what you want when it comes to love or, or money or friendship, any of it. So that's what I'm excited about, man. Cool. So what are some of the distinct benefits of dropping the armor? Is that clarity, that owning your own vulnerability, taking responsibility? It, yeah. What else is part of that? So the number one thing is, yeah, learning to take responsibility for our lives, but doing it without kind of the shame and blame energy that the world has taught us, that maybe a lot of our parents have taught us. And when we learn to take responsibility for our lives, we learn to get clear on what we most value. We get in touch with our emotions. We start to understand why the heck we do all the shit we do, right? We start to understand the ways that we set up our life to fulfill patterns that are based in like negative beliefs or shadow, right? As we were talking about before the call. And things get easier, actually. On one hand, it gets harder because you're doing a lot more courageous things. You're having that hard conversation with your girlfriend or your wife. You're asking for the raise. You're going out on your own and trying to start some sort of business venture or private consulting or doing your like healing work like you and I do. You know, you're taking risks in life, but day-to-day life gets a lot easier. It's a lot lighter. It gets more joyful. It just gets richer. Even in the days that are really hard because you're in the struggle of going after what you want, it gets richer. So, you know, relationships get better. I believe we can have amazing transformation in our health and our body and taking care of ourselves through doing the work, the hard work, the inner work to drop the armor. There's endless benefits. I mean, all you can think about. I really focus a lot with people on the three most important things, love, health, and career, you know? Awesome. And so is it usually problems in one of those three areas or all of them that are signs that a guy is overly armored, overly shielded himself somehow? 
Yeah. I mean, typically it is, it's going to be the fact that like, I don't want to lay this out here. Right. Cause one of the things I want to talk about today is, is younger men, like men in their late twenties, thirties, approaching that, you know, that Jesus age, as we joked about, which is like, essentially I'm a guy who just followed the path that was set out in front of me. Right. And a lot of guys are out there, they're doing it. They're following the path that was set out in front of them. They're going and doing well in school and they're being a nice guy and they're trying to say the right things all the time. And they're being a good student of life, if you will. And they go to school and they get the job and they stay in their lane, right? And they have a comfortable and safe relationship. Typically though, what's happening, I'm seeing over and over again is guys in their late twenties, maybe early thirties, they're starting to like wake up, you know? They're starting to wake up and realize that the trajectory of life they're on doesn't feel exciting. They don't have passion. They don't have energy in their life. They're starting to have like problems with their health or they're not really taking care of themselves. And they're already realizing, wait, this can't last. They're having a lot of thoughts of like, this can't last, right? So that might be it. You know, they might be doing well in a career and they're making good money and it looks interesting to everyone else, but they can't stand it and they can't imagine the rest of their life, you know, 20, 30, 40 more years doing the same work. Maybe they haven't had the happiness that they want, the success they want in dating because they really have a hard time getting vulnerable and trusting another person or because they really don't know how to express themselves and be honest with what they want. So they keep going after what they think they want. So essentially, that's what you're going to find. You're going to find that like it's just general unhappiness or feeling of like, ugh, it's like I don't have anything to complain about per se on the outside looking in but I'm just not happy. I'm not feeling excited. I'm not feeling lit up. It could be as extreme as me. Like I literally was 31. I had a bunch of health problems. Weight was not my only health problem. And you're starting to all your, your marriage or your relationships already starting to fall apart. Your first career, you're already realizing like, there's no way I can keep doing this, even if I'm quote unquote good at it. So it's a lot of those big things. It's the stuff that our parents' generation were having midlife crises around. It's shown up earlier and earlier in today's world because we have so much more access to alternative pathways and we're starting to question much earlier. And we're getting exposed to inner work and emotional work and therapy and like Buddhism, all this stuff so much earlier these days. So that's what you basically see, you know, if that makes makes a little more sense. Yeah, what I see time and time again when I'm meeting guys, it's as you said, they've done everything they're supposed to. They've followed their training. And they wake up and they're just like, but I'm still empty. Where, where's the meaning? Where's the passion? And it's just you know, like, like so many men are this empty vessel of following the steps they were supposed to and then realizing, but why am I so empty? Why does this mean nothing to me? So you mentioned a lot of things I love and want to dig on. You talked about vulnerability a lot. And I say vulnerability is a superpower that too many men don't take advantage of. So can, can you expand on what you see as the benefits, the power in being vulnerable for a man? Yeah, I mean, the power of being vulnerable for a human being is the power to connect. I mean, bottom line, it's really like, first of all, it's the power to get real. You know, I anything that you do that involves going outside of your house, not sitting on the couch and watching TV, having a conversation with another person, getting in your car, going to the grocery store, going to work, all of that inherently is vulnerable, right? So there's a reality. There's like a reality check here of you can't just learn to be vulnerable. You're constantly vulnerable. We are just vulnerable. We cannot just live in a bubble and be safe all the time. Being in a human life, being in a human body, there's always going to be risk of your safety emotionally, physically, psychically. It's just there all the time. So it's, it's getting outside of this lie that we tell ourselves that we can even be safe, right? So for one, it's connecting with your own humanity, right? There's that realization that one of the big benefits is when you recognize like, oh, I'm kind of always vulnerable. 
then you recognize that there's actually a lot of work that can be done from that space of knowing that you're not perfect, you're never going to be perfect, and you're not safe, even though you can create deep, deep safety and security inside of yourself, inside relationships, et cetera. So first of all, it's just getting real. And that realness allows for us to actually connect with some of the most important stuff of life, which is what we're actually feeling, what we actually want, the things that we long for. And then when we talk about vulnerability in today's space, you know, like what's very popular in men's work, what's popular through like Brene Brown's work and through what a lot of people are learning when they go to therapy, vulnerability, we're talking about the capacity to have a conversation with other people where we're exposing the things that we're afraid of, or we're exposing our imperfections, or we're taking a risk and asking for something that we want, right? So vulnerability is really the ability to connect with others. It's saying like, I'm not perfect. I have problems too. And that honestly allows all of us to say, me too, me too. So it's this huge power to connect with others and ourselves. The big thing, other thing too, is like you want something different in the bedroom with your partner, that's a vulnerable moment, unless you want to just continue to be feeling stuck and unsatisfied. You want to raise or you want to go for a promotion, that is a vulnerable conversation, right? Let's say you're in business and something's going on with you and your partner and it's just not working for you. Being able to take leadership and shift the narrative, that's a vulnerable moment. The ability to acknowledge our vulnerability and step into vulnerable moments with other human beings is one of the biggest superpowers we have in the world. Just actually being human and doing it well instead of hiding our humanity. I mean, this is the secret behind Real Men Feel, reminding men yeah. that they're human beings. That's really it. Oh, man. Humans are real. Humans feel. And, and that, that's the core of it. And especially for men, I find that helping them reframe vulnerability, because we're taught, society tells us and pop culture, everything, that vulnerability is weakness. That's the big fear for guys being vulnerable. But it takes tremendous courage to be vulnerable, to be that first guy that says, I'm having this problem. I'm, I'm facing this difficulty. And again, any men's group I've ever been part of, there's those, yeah, other guys raise their hand, say me too. And you realize you aren't alone. But like only the bravest of people can be vulnerable. It, it's so opposite of weakness. Yeah, it's totally true. And it's not just like in a men's group, it's anywhere, you know, in relationships. I have a client right now who he's been in with his partner about two years. They've lived together about a year or so. And he's just kind of like his partner's kind of complaining because their, their lack of sexual intimacy, it started just falling off quite a bit. And he's in this space of actually not being that upset about it. <laughs> and so also not understanding like, well, what's the next step for us? He hasn't really done a lot of education on it outside of what we're taught growing up, outside of porn, et cetera. And so honestly, a beautifully powerful moment for him was helping him create the courage to tell her like, I struggle with judging myself because I haven't been that upset. And I want to know what to do to make you happier and maybe to have more beautiful experiences in the bedroom, but I don't know what to do. The beautiful thing is, is she's in the same boat. She's like, actually, part of it is I just want to feel like I want it more too. And you want it. And so it's like this whole reality of they connected at what do we do now to solve this problem of a lack of sexual spark? It's no longer he's not fulfilling her. She's not fulfilling him. Somebody else, you know, they, they're in it together now to actually find a way to move forward together. But meanwhile, one or both of them could have easily just stayed for years thinking like, I'm the only one who wants this, or I'm the only one who doesn't want this, or I'm the only one who's confused. or So, you know, even just little things like that. And that's a big thing, but it feels like a small moment, you know, like a relationship, right? The biggest changes we can make are often the smallest choices started. You mentioned a phrase earlier, and you said it when we first talked, and it was a term I was not familiar with, and it was the Jesus age. So expand on that. Tell, yeah. tell me what the Jesus age means to you, where it comes from, everything. 
So it's a joke to me because, you know, I don't know as much about, I, I believe I understand that you know a lot about mythology and some religious scriptures. I joke because I actually see this pattern a lot. I see men truly waking up to feeling dissatisfied and going through big changes. They want to change their career. They really want to change the way that they do relationship. Maybe they realize they want to try some you know, ethical non-monogamy, or you know, maybe they realize that they want to get into some sort of more adventurous lifestyle. They want to be a digital nomad. I see men starting to question, as I already mentioned earlier, really like earlier, late 20s, early 30s. It's become a phenomenon for me. And for me personally, I went through this dramatic, intense breakdown. I realized I was stale in my career. My marriage was ending. I was going through health crises at 30 years old. It's become almost inevitable to me that if I'm talking to a guy in his late 20s or maybe early 30s, there's some big part of life that feels like it's breaking down a bit. And I truly believe that this is a powerful time in a man's life. It's a time in a man's life where you get to step in and decide, what do I really want in this world? How do I actually drop the armor, learn to connect with my emotions, become a man who's more conscious and evolving in our relationships through being more vulnerable, through being more honest? What I talk about is getting a clear head, open heart, and solid guts and aligning those three. How do we do this at an age where we have all this opportunity to do this nowadays. Like go on Instagram, like go on Instagram. There's a million spiritual teachers and coaches and techniques and meditation teachers and everything you could possibly think about. I mean, there's so many options nowadays. And so it's just the time that I see men starting to question all that shit that I thought was weird and abnormal. Now I'm kind of getting into it. Now, what do I do to apply it and actually change my life and change the trajectory of my life before I've got you know, 20, 30 years into a career and I feel stuck because then I've got the golden handcuffs, right? Or I am, you know, 15, 20 years into creating my family. So how do I change the relationship dynamic, the agreements between my wife and I, or how do I change some of the old patterns where I, I'm still acting like my dad, even though I swore I never wanted to. And now my kids are seven, eight, nine, 10, 15, 20. So I'm passionate about guys getting in there early and doing the inner work to become more of who they want to be. So they're not trying to get out of their midlife crisis or trying to change the trajectory of their life. It's a lot easier to do it, you know, 25, 28, 30, 35, than it is to do it at 48, 45, 60. So that's what I'm talking about. I jokingly call it the Jesus age because, you know, there was, there's the mythology of Jesus, right? Like where basically we don't have a lot of information about what he was doing between 18 and what's 30 or 31 is when he came back, 30? Yeah, 30. I think 30. Right. So he came back and he's this like enlightened prophet, Right. He's this person who talks about love and peace and, you know, and like getting into the most inner part of who we are, returning to being childlike, right? Returning to wonder and wisdom and connection. And so I find it's a powerful mythology. And I don't think it's the only mythology where some, a man of that age was starting to return from his hero's journey and bring back gifts to his community and change his life. So I just think it's a really neat age. It's kind of a joke to me to call it the Jesus age. I know that when I said that, you had some pretty interesting insights because you study some of this, right? Yeah, so I'm a healer and ritual master in something called the Modern Mystery School. And there were seven ancient mystery schools. And the mystery school teaching is that the span in life when as a young man, as a, as a teen and young man, when he was kind of missing in the Bible, 
he was at mystery schools, training, being indoctrinated, learning healing, learning everything that he went on to teach. He was really here to, to change humanity. That's one of the hooks that the mystery school got into me, like combining history. was like, oh, I never heard that part of it and filling in the blanks of, of what we're all told, the masses are told, and hence the name, mystery schools. It's mysteries. It's not mm-hmm. shared with everybody. It's esoteric knowledge. Right. And that the three wise men were ritual masters from mystery schools coming to see this new right. Christ consciousness, like, oh, we got to recruit this guy, get him to come train with us, right? That was right. the mystery, you know, so it's just, it's intertwined and I, I just love all of that content and material, but yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus is just all right with me. I'll just say that. Right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, and here's the deal, right? So we grow up and we are given, we are implanted, we consume beliefs of the dominant culture. We consume beliefs and values of our family, of our religion, of our our teaching institutions, our education systems. Maybe we adopt and believe and consume and start creating a life based on what we learn through sports culture or through like all of the weird, what we're now calling toxic masculinity, but like hyper-masculine versions of our culture. I know as a guy growing up in the eighties, I definitely worshiped like Hulk Hogan and all the sports figures and everything. Right. And so we worship things that aren't truly the stuff of life and we're taught values and ideals and create an identity based on things that aren't necessarily ours. And by the way, we get wounded and traumatized and physically or emotionally beat up quite literally. I mean, who hasn't gotten picked on in some way, shape or form? I remember being the fat kid and even picking on like the hot guy, you know what I mean? Like even he's getting picked on, the hot smart guy. It's like, oh, you're the books all the time. Oh, the ladies, you know, like you're gonna find, everyone picks on each other in this culture, right? Especially as men. And so we all have wounds. We all have that, that hot smart guy, he has, family members, an older brother, he has expectations because everyone before him was a doctor or a lawyer, and he just kind of wants to be a freaking dancer or something, right? Like we all come to our the end of our youth with wounds and with things that we've adopted that's so on trajectory that aren't really ours. And then there's this time from like 18 to let's say our late 20s, 28, 30, where we're just fumbling through life, trying to apply all that stuff. And maybe we start to learn that some of it doesn't work. Maybe we start to learn someone doesn't make us happy. Maybe we start to learn that there was a lot of lies give it, told to us about what to expect when we just follow this path and that there were, it was a bunch of BS. But essentially, we are just learning about how all the things that were given to us at a young age aren't really serving us. And we're learning about who we are. We're gathering data and information. We're screwing up. We're making mistakes. We're getting our, first, our, you know, our feet wet when it comes to our professional life and our love life. And so really, by the time we're in our like late 20s, early 30s, that's finally the time that we can see ourselves clearly and have some identity idea of what we really want going forward. So it really is this time where, you know, it's kind of like we're, if we're using, I see behind you, you got the king, warrior, magician, lover. We're talking about like your prince stage, if you will. <laughs> it's really not the time to pick what you want in this life. And it's probably not the time that you set yourself on the trajectory. This late print stage where we get to be in like our late 20s, early 30s, we get to set the course towards the king, right? The king that we want to be, like where I'm at now, late 30s, 40s, moving further into life as the king. But the reality is what we picked when we were young, that's not who we really are. That's not what we really want. So it's time to pivot. You know what I mean? It's time to drop the armor and open up your head, heart and guts, all that kind of stuff. And, And really, truly, it's also the time that I see men really starting to prioritize love and family if they're willing to drop some of the initial toxic masculinity armor. And so that's a whole nother huge can of worms is how do we go from this kind of like young, silly version of ourselves who totally wanted to win professionally and did all the kind of things we needed to do to feel like we were popular. And now we just want love and we want freedom 
and we want peace and we want some sort of true sense of power because all that force stuff that we learned growing up doesn't really work, you know? Yeah. If you're the guy that like peaks in high school and then <laughs> life is not high school and you got to yeah, adjust right. and change and the rules you're playing by. Yeah, but I'm, I'm seeing this too. Younger and younger guys being open to new things, questioning things. And I think it's fantastic because what our Western society is missing that makes that more difficult is any part of sort of initiation, any part of mentorship that goes to young men and more uh, young men are grown up in just, you know, a household without men at all. Right. So it's really like, what does being a man mean? I don't even see any. I have no clue what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to act. So I, yeah, I take it from from wrestling and bad movies and, you know. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's just this distorted sense. Instead of toxic masculinity, I just talked about distorted masculinity because yeah. everything can be distorted. Right. Totally distorted. Misplaced, misunderstood, unbalanced, unhealthy. I mean, all of it. I mean, toxic is one thing that people are calling it. But the reality is... There's so much that, yeah, and there's a big opportunity that's come from this too, right? There, anytime there's a crisis or anytime there's a loss or lack of positive male leadership, there's actually an opening. There's an opportunity to recreate. So we now, guys my age at least and younger, I'm 39, like I mentioned, guys my age and younger, and anyone of any age really, we now are finally in a place where we have an opportunity to create our version of masculinity. And the world is starting to say like, hey, that's cool. You can do that. You know, you could totally do that. You could be a power lifter who, you know, wears a feather boa. Like you just can, right? <laughs> yeah, the definition of masculinity that matters is yours. Yeah. And, and no matter what, and it can always change it too. That's why it doesn't, ideally you have one that fits and feels good now. Doesn't mean that's the only one you'll ever have, right? We're always evolving and change is good. And once you get to the point that you realize change is good and you want to change. And a big lesson for me was realizing that wanting to change didn't mean I was broken now, right? right. That there's, there's just more. There can be better. There can be improvement. Doesn't mean there's something wrong with you right now. Yeah. And that's a big part of, you know, one of the fundamental things I'm working on with people is this mindset shift. I call it consumer to creator. And the consumer thinks that if there's, you know, if it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or if there's like nothing, if, if I have to fix something, then there's something wrong with me. If I'm unhappy, there's something wrong with me. If I follow the formula for what I'm supposed to do to be successful in life and I don't have those things, I don't have those rewards or do worse, if I have them and I'm still not happy, oh, there's really something wrong with me, which is so common nowadays, right? Like I just talked to a guy local here. He's a real estate agent. He's making plenty of money. He does a brand, a six month old baby. His wife's beautiful. Instagram photos are amazing. And he's like, dude, I'm afraid of conversations everywhere. And I'm not happy. I'm not taking care of my body. Right? Like, so the point is, if we're in these spaces, we think there's something wrong with us. No, there's nothing wrong with us. There's just a new level for you to get to. There's a new level for you to ascend to. And we have to drop some of that armor, if you will. You have to drop some of the weight that we were holding back and get into a new level of life or change and grow, evolve, right? So that's the first thing is becoming the creator means we don't even, we have challenges. There are opportunities. There are true problems. There are true pains in life, but we always find a way to feel it and then transform it into something more powerful to create an opportunity from it, right? So that's a fundamental shift right there. It's like, there's nothing wrong with you if you want more. There's nothing wrong with you if you've outgrown what was already serving you in life. In like every hero's journey, every athletic adventure, any sort of marathon, climbing a mountain, yeah, at some point, I've got more gear than I need. I'm dropping all this stuff behind to get lighter and leaner so that you can go further. Mm -hmm. So it's again, all these, the armor metaphor just keeps working and working. I know. 
I know. Yeah. And, and a journey is interesting too, because you need different tools at different times. You might need some of the armor back. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's a great metaphor. We could definitely, and, and it's almost never, you're never just like going in one direction, ascending all the time in a journey. What a boring movie would that be? You know, if you actually, <laughs> and that's what people complain about the, like if your life had no obstacles, like you wouldn't be here. Like there's no point. And almost perhaps the point of childhood is to get wounded. Cause that's the opportunity to grow further. If everything is great, it's hard even for a human to realize what's great if you don't have not mm-hmm. great. We need that contrast. Right. That's a big one for me the last few years is I've been digging hard into wanting to understand and experience pain and grief more, like actually wanting to so that I can have an even more refined sense of joy, of connection, of pleasure, of excitement, right? And these are the kind of things that like, there aren't that many people teaching you that. Like, you know, your wrestling coach isn't teaching you that. And most likely, maybe you have a really enlightened church, but like your pastor's not teaching you, you know, you're, uh, I'm Jewish, right? So it's like, you're not learning that at temple per se. If you really listen closely, you might hear some of that in some of the scripture, right? But we're not being taught these kinds of things. We're not being taught how to go into these more advanced ways of being with ourselves and with others and having that human experience as you talk about. Yeah. I mean, we're really taught to avoid discomfort, not to dive into Mm -hmm. it, not to see what treasure, what lessons, what gold is in there for us, because there always is. Mm -hmm. I mean, we mentioned midlife crisis a few times and we just got to stop, drop the mid. And, you know, that's what I I was having midlife crises in my 20s and 30s. Like, this isn't supposed to be happening. And (laughs) so I just, all right, I guess you can just have a life crisis. And, And I also grew up thinking you had one. So if you got through your crisis, then you were done. And like, nope, that is not seem to be the case for me. <laughs> no, I didn't even have one in my, I had more than one in my thirties, man. Yeah. I'm not even out of my thirties yet. Not to come out of a third, but uh, <laughs> you know, that's so true. And actually, what if we reframe something, Andy? Like, let's take a moment on this actual podcast to reframe something. What if you're someone who really struggled to find a sense of groundedness, to find a sense of self, to find a sense of okayness in your adolescence? in your teens, in your early 20s. You know, what if you struggled? Like the the reality is I struggled a lot. I struggled young. I was 16 and really believed I would never have a woman love me. Like I thought I might be a virgin, right? I I really believed I would never have a great life growing up. Didn't think I would have a positive uh, career ever. What if you, me, anyone who's had those challenges before midlife, what if we're just advanced? Like what if we're literally advanced? There's a part of your mind, your body, your psyche that says, you get this challenge early. You get this challenge early. So there's just so much to reframe about the way our culture looks at struggle as well. Yeah, and invite it. And again, the, the sense of the male warrior. Like I had suicidal thoughts at age eight. I've made my first attempt at age 12. Oh, and it took wow. a long time for anyone to help me be able to see that as, as like embracing a challenge. Like I was, I was willing to feel that much pain so that I could go on and help others later. But certainly in the moment, mm-hmm. like, no, this just sucks. I want everything to stop. That was my only mindset. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I really like that notion of we were in the advanced class. <laughs> a lot of people are touched with tragedy early or touched with challenged early. And that is often who becomes, you know, the archetype of the wounded healer, right? Or the archetype of, of the warrior. It's somebody who has to prove themselves who becomes a warrior and actually then evolves to serve humanity, not just their ego. It's somebody who's been hurt who becomes the healer. Now, there's one thing that was never told to me as a kid was how good being of service to others feels. Yeah, and that that was something I had to really discover myself. And again, when I talk about people, oh yeah, of course, yeah. I'm like, wow, but where's that class? (laughs) 
If it exists, I missed it. Yeah, well, we, we you know we're taught a lot of con- what I call concepts of domination logic, right? You have to get over on people. You have to be better than everybody else. You have to dominate them. You have to be smarter than them. So you're at the top of the class and you make more money than them rather than the reality, which is how many people who are extremely fulfilled who aren't actually helping people in some way? That's the reality. And it's very few. There's very few. So another term that I see use is an open-hearted badass. Yeah. Can you tell me what that means to you? Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. So I do a lot of deep values work with people. I mean, so many people have done values work or checked in with their core values. You know, it's part of like, speaking of Brene Brown, it's part of some of her leadership courses. And it's really important to understand our values. But I like to get in and do really deep work to not just understand them and know them, but to really align with them, to take action. So one of my values, if potentially what Mark Manson would call a God value, you know, I love his book, uh, Everything's Fucked, a book about hope. And he talks about values and how we identify around our values and what he calls God values, whether they're religious or not. Well, mine's love, truly. You know, as I've done the work to heal myself, as I've tried all these different things, I've learned that love is one of the most powerful things that I really care about, that I align with, that is so important to me. And I think a lot of people out there, whether it's love or whether it's wholeness, like one of my clients is one of his top goals, his God goal, if you will, or value, if you will, is is wholeness, right? So no matter what, we all have these values that we really align with that are very important to us. An open-hearted badass is someone who's willing to actually be vulnerable enough to go after living a life of those values, to be willing to challenge the status quo, to create what they want in their relationships, to create what they want when it comes to their personal health, to challenge the relationships within themselves, like the relationship to money, the relationship to time, the relationship to their own body, their relationship to whatever it may be. Like I've got a really good friend who's inspiring and he's always challenging his relationship to capitalism, to whiteness, right? To some of these big overarching structures of domination and oppression, which some of us have really benefited from and really learning to challenge all of it. So an open-hearted badass is someone who understands their values. They're willing to take the risk. They're willing to get hurt. They're willing to have the hard conversation. They're willing to challenge the status quo. They're willing to go outside the norm. They do with a sense of groundedness, maybe not swagger, right? But like they feel validated by going against the grain in a way that aligns with what they truly believe in, especially if they know it's helping others or it's healing themselves or it's building deeper relationships or it's moving towards transformation in life. You know, like an open hearted badass is I mentioned the stuff with that one client where he, he finally said like, okay, uh, I have some stuff about our sexual relationship that I want to talk about. No, I don't know the answers to, and I'm not sure that's an open hearted badass. You know, a client of mine right now, he really is committed. He did the whole thing where he, went and he got a great degree and then he got a job at Google and he worked for Google for four years and he couldn't stand being what he called like an Excel monkey, like just punching in numbers to Excel. It's what he did. People freak out. You you work for Google and it's boring. It's the most boring job you'd ever imagine in your entire life. He left. He had the courage to leave that kind of job that everyone thought he would love to move back in with his parents until he figured out what he wanted. And now he knows like he's studying shamanistic work we're around plant medicine. He, he wants to do that. He wants to set up an intentional community. He wants to go on several like spirit quests throughout the world before he does all this. 
So an open hearted badass is like him giving himself the permission to go move to Brazil because he can live off a thousand dollars a month while he's figuring this all out and not have to go back to like the corporate tech job and to let go of all the startup stuff that he used to like dream about. That's a badass. I mean, that's an open hearted badass. If you ask me, you're willing to open your heart. You're willing to go for what you're passionate about, what you love. And you know, you might get hurt in the process. Indeed. Almost guaranteed to, but that's part of yeah. it. That's, it's needed, right? I can't imagine how human can have an open heart and not get hurt at some point. That's part of it. But again, it does serve you in the end. It, it actually helps you, I find. Yeah. That was literally my Instagram post this morning about love. It's like, no man has ever improved his relationship by playing it safe. I believe in you, but you won't be the first. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> truly, right? So it's like anyone who's afraid of rocking the boat in any part of their life, you're not really capable of creating something beautiful in relationship or truly valuable for yourself. You know, if you play it safe, you're never really exposing yourself to all the gifts and the gold of what's out there in the world. Well, I really uh, appreciate what you share with us today, Joe, and all the work you're doing. I always love to meet another man who's had multiple midlife crises, dark nights of the yeah. soul, shadow work, and coming out of it. And, and really that when you come out of it, you can go into it again. This journey, this evolving of us doesn't really have an endpoint. Mm-hmm. We are the perpetual video game. We, we just keep up-leveling and finding higher scores. Yeah, that's it. We set a higher score each year. That's the idea. <laughs> a higher score. You know, and sometimes there's years where the score is lower, but you need to go to that lower score to get, <laughs> to get to the next step, to get to the next, to be frustrated enough to learn what you need to learn to get to the next level, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's yeah, another good reframe. Yeah, the power of frustration and not getting what you want. Cool. Awesome. So uh, what's the best way for people to learn more about you and connect with you? Well, there's a couple things that people can do. The number one thing I want to ask people to do is if you're somebody who really, you want to be around other people who are committed to living a life that lights you up. They're committed to doing the work to get clarity in their head, open their heart, solid in their guts, and to choose love over fear or courage over comfort, the stuff that makes a great life to drop the armor. Then you can join me. I've got a Facebook group, Drop the Armor Dojo which is really badass. It's full, it's men and women. I'm a men's coach, but it's full of men and women and some folks that are non-binary that are really practicing vulnerability, honesty. They're letting their freak flag fly. You know, we have posts there about non-traditional spirituality and posts about non-monogamy and people sharing about, you know, what their experiences with plant medicines and things like that. If you're like a personal growth junkie and you want to be in a space that's really open and vulnerable, kind of like a men's group, but for all human beings, and join me on Facebook and drop the Armor Dojo. Otherwise, my website's available. People can just go there and land and check some stuff out, joebernsteincoaching.com. You can find me on Instagram. I'm getting more into Instagram here and there. It's a fun platform. I'm trying to learn and I'm putting a, some decent, pretty cool stuff out there, actually, I think. But you could find your way to connect with me or message me there. So plenty of options. Beautiful, um, beautiful. I got, there's a website I got recently purchased. You can go into something called google.com and search my name. You'll find me. It's there's that too. <laughs> well, to make it even easier, visit realmenfield.org and the show notes at the blog for this episode. We'll have all the links to everything that Joe has mentioned and books that have been mentioned too. give you all the resources to connect easier. Save you that, that, oh, that, oh, that hard work of searching someone's name, right? Yeah. Don't do that. Just go to the show notes, check out Andy's site. Poke around. I was poking around this morning, actually. You've got some really interesting stuff on your websites, so check it out. Cool. Beautiful. Again, great to talk to you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Wherever you're discovering that real men feel, give a like, a comment, a share, invite other men to check this out, and as always, be good to yourself. 